Welcome to the Ponder New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Mayalis, and in this podcast we look at the ancient stories of Scripture and ponder new their meaning for today. And uh, we're going to continue with the, the Joseph story. Must say, really have appreciated the feedback on the the podcast last time about Reuben and um, how all of you are desperate to sort of justify Reuben. This has been fascinating. Again, it's just cool to see how we're getting into these stories and really wrestling with them and discovering, wow, they really speak to our lives today. Well, today we're going to look at uh, the story of Joseph when he's in prison and reflect a little bit about... um, yeah, how unjust life can be and, and uh, what we make of this, uh, where we find meaning in that, and how God is actually calling us not simply into navel-gazing, but into service to our neighbor. So without further ado, we'll get pondering. Drew back the curtain To see for certain What I thought I knew Far, far away. One night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own meaning. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms came out, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But remember me when it is well with you. Please do me the kindness to make mention of me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this place. For in fact, I was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Joseph is in prison. I want to go back to the story before this, which is found in Genesis 39, and set up why Joseph is in prison, because I think understanding what happens in prison and its implications for our lives, it's really important to understand how this kind of all uh, builds itself up. And what happens is uh, that when Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, he ends up in the house of a man named Potiphar. And the Bible tells us that God was with Joseph, And even Potiphar sees that everything that Joseph does, he just sort of has the Midas touch, and everything is good. Unfortunately, this goodness uh, attracts the attention of Potiphar's wife, who wants to seduce him. Uh, Joseph refuses, and then she sets, kind of frames him that he had tried to sleep with her, and for this she's thrown into prison. 
And so we end up now with this dilemma, this dilemma that uh, Joseph has entered into a situation where he is unjustly suffering, unfairly being punished, and the Bible still maintains that God is with him. And so I'm curious, when are times in your life when you feel like you've done the right thing, you've even had a sense that God is with you, but things just didn't work out the way you wanted them to. You ended up in a situation in which you were suffering or punished unfairly. And in those times, were you still able to assert, yes, indeed, even though I'm in this terrible situation, God is with me. Joseph here, um, as we've been sort of tracking the Joseph story and walking with, there's probably some ways in which you're starting to sense some real parallels, some uh, echoes, some sort of harmony with the story of Jesus. There's sort of a lot of uh, sort of overlay, this beloved son who um, is sold for 20 pieces of silver by a brother named Judas. Turns out Judah and Judas are the same name in Hebrew. Um, who now is suffering unjustly, falsely accused, right? And who ultimately will go on to sort of be this savior figure as he emerges out of the darkness. Again, there's some, there's some broad themes that, that overlap here. But I think what is perhaps the most Christian here, the thing that I think Christians can really sort of see, is that the, the way that, and, and the claims that this story makes about suffering really are the Judeo-Christian um, understanding of, of suffering in this world. And, and kind of when you start to really boil it down and you sort of crystallize it, there's, there's only a few real ways in which humans have sort of been able to wrap their minds around the question of unjust suffering in this world. And, and one is sort of an ancient polytheistic view, which says the reason why bad things happen is because the gods are capricious and mean, and they're just doing stuff. Um, and, and we're just sort of pawns in their game, and we suffer often because of their whims. Right? So the gods don't care is just one answer. And, and by extension, then you can sort of take this to the secular extreme, that sort of all of life is, is random and suffering is just sort of the, the result. Like there is no justice anyway, so there is no unjust suffering because life just isn't fundamentally fair at all. The other uh, thought, though, is that uh, the universe is, is super fair, um, and that is really embodied in many ways by Islam. Um, in, in fact, in Islam, the prophets, including Jesus Christ, all the prophets in the Quran, they don't suffer because if you're doing the will of God, you will not end up suffering. Uh, so therefore, if you're suffering, it's, it's because you haven't done what is righteous. And this is also a notion in the Bible, in the New and the Old Testament, that, there, that if you do wrong, there is accountability. Um, but it's just sort of, sort of taken to the sort of, sort of black and white extreme uh, in, in the Quran that Right, uh, the prophets don't suffer, um, so there really is no unjust suffering. Somehow, somebody did something, um, or at best, uh, maybe with the sort of the asterisks that it could be resolved in the afterlife. 
There's also um, Buddhism, which uh, offers us that uh, suffering is just a mirage. Um, that um, So you think about sort of modern nihilism saying there is no justice, <laughs> um, whereas, uh, you know, Buddhism is just kind of saying that there really is no suffering. It's just all in your mind, and you just had the wrong desires. Uh, and if you weren't so attached to things and you wouldn't experience disappointment, you wouldn't experience suffering. So basically, again, there's these, these different answers um, over, over the course of human history. The gods don't care. There is no justice. There is perfect justice, and therefore it is your fault. Or, or there really is no suffering. It's just in your mind, and you need to fix your thoughts. Christianity and building on Judaism comes back with a, with a different answer. Um, and it's, it's, in some ways, it's not a simple answer. It's the answer that there, there is bad stuff that happens to good people. And um, that the, the question is, is never to ask why it happened, but to really ask, since the Lord is living, what am I called to do in this situation? I want to pick up now and delve a little bit deeper into this idea of calling. And uh, sometimes in Christianity, it's called vocation, a fancy word there coming from the Latin for vocare, meaning to call. And this idea is that each of us has a calling in life. And actually, the Protestant Reformation changes the meaning of this word. Prior to that, the idea of vocations were limited to priests and and uh, monks and nuns, that they had a calling. But Luther comes along and says, no, no, each of us has a calling. Uh, and that calling is found in our relationships, be it as a spouse or child or parent or friend or neighbor um, or a professional or, or even sort of the sort of when we're called into a, a career or to sort of a professional or a volunteer obligation, right? These become something that we sense is a calling, something that we're invited into to do, even called by God to use God's, the gifts that we've been given in those areas. But I, but I want to sort of uh, connect vocation um, and, and also uh, suffering here together. Okay? Because generally when we talk to young people about what they're supposed to do with their lives, or people of any age, we revolve this discussion around the question of um, what are you passionate about? You know, what do you really love to do? And there is some wisdom in this question. I mean, if we're going to spend hours a day doing something, we should enjoy it. And there's also a, a way in which this question acknowledges that each person is different and that we all bring different uh, interests and passions to the table and that our job is not to be somebody else. Um, but in some level, again, each of us has been given something um, unique by God. But there's a sort of there's a couple problems when we start to ask people, you know, to discover their passion. Uh, first of all, um, it locates the, the truth of life and it locates um, the, the sort of the meaning of our life um, and our purposes um, solely with sort of in our heart. 
Um, and, and I think that not only is our own heart fickle, um, but it just neglects a lot of uh, other really important data, <laughs> which, which I'll get to. The, the second thing is, is that um, even if we could be true to ourselves and even if our heart were pure, typically when we're asking this to young people, um, we're, we're asking people who haven't, frankly, had a lot of life experience yet. Um, it, you know, by 16, I, you know, most 16-year-olds um, have a lot of feelings and a lot of emotions, but their worldview typically um, is dominated by hormones, uh, um, <laughs> maybe some, you know, a limited number of academic subjects they're going to study in school, getting good grades in them, and, um, and then uh, people that they're attracted to, right? <laughs> Um, I think I already said that, but again, that's the way the 16-year-old mind works, right? So you, you don't have necessarily the, the broadest life experience. So somebody says, you know, what do you love to do? Well, you, 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 there's so much of, your, of life, of the world, of yourself, you haven't even sort of discovered yet. Um, but again, I think that the real uh, challenge is that it also encourages people to sort of look in, which again is part of a healthy level of discernment. But the reality is that that which we're called to do um, is not solely or even principally determined by the interior events. Um, how we do it may, um, and the integrity of what you do, it may sort of be defined by the inside. But that which we're called to do um, is, is so much defined by, by circumstances out of our control. Uh, so, for instance, let's say there's somebody who, um, you know, says, I, you know, I really don't like my job, right? After the pandemic, it's just not as much fun as it was. I'm done. I want to quit. I know lots of people that are leaving their professions, careers, jobs, etc. Well, you know, but it's not so simple just as to sort of wake up one day and say to, you know, one spouse, hey, look, I know that I'm the one who has health insurance in our family, but I, I don't think I like my job, so I'm done with it, right? And this might mean we have to move or, you know, that you have to work full time or whatever else. Like you just, you can't do things in a vacuum. I mean, um, we, we can't just say, oh, oh, I'm passionate about this. Um, what we're called to do in life is, is often constrained by and even determined by what else is around us. Um, and I also think that, um, you know, fundamentally, um, that which God is calling us to involves um, the, the people outside of us in the situation, often those who are in need. It's a great quote by actually a, a pastor who recently died named Frederick Beekner that our, that our calling is where the where um, it's like something along the lines of like the world's deep need meets our uh, great desire. Um, but again, this, so I want to say that this looking inside um, is, is part of it. But when you see in the story of Joseph, Joseph says, look, here he is in prison. And these people come to him and they talk about dreams. And he says, look, I can't interpret dreams. They're given by God. And, and first of all, so this is the first sort of way in which secular sort of career decision-making or sort of what we're supposed to do with our life differs. And that is that, first of all, we want to acknowledge as Christians that the, the things, the gifts we have, that the capacities are actually gifts from God. Okay, we want to sort of make that claim, first and foremost, that that which we can do is, is from God. But Joseph is also here, and, you know, he's in prison, um, 
And he's being called into this situation by the needs of those who are in front of him, namely these, these two uh, servants of the Pharaoh. I think this is a, a better example of vocation then, where uh, it's a great example where you have, again, the internal sense of God's giftedness to us along with the particular needs that are in front of us. And I love the fact that it is being lived out in a prison by somebody who's unjustly imprisoned. Because it's a a powerful reminder that, again, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, whatever calamities may befall us, there is still vocation there. There is still purpose. There is still something for us to do to shine a light in the darkness, to um, have our character revealed, to do the right thing, to help somebody. So again, the, what the Bible is sort of implicitly saying here is that when, you know, and it turns out many Jews over the centuries later, and then Christians, but again, this is a Jewish story, many Jews would be, have been unjustly imprisoned, beaten, and, and suffered. Um, plenty of humans have. And when we get in those situations, it is not really our duty at that point to ask the why question but simply to say, okay, this is the circumstance I'm in. The Lord is still with me. What am I called to do here? What good can I do even in this limited situation? And when have you have found that? Maybe points even during the pandemic, a real time of constrained optimization where we couldn't always do the thing that made our hearts sing, but we sort of had to kind of put one foot in front of the other and do the next best thing How have you experienced those times in your life where um, you just had a sense that what you were supposed to do wasn't even necessarily what you were super excited about doing, but you just knew it was the right thing, right? Taking care of a loved one when they're they're suffering, Um, right? Figuring out how to uh, teach your kid (laughs) online school and all sorts of things that are not our passion, but nonetheless, we were called into them. So when when it comes to, again, the the adversities of life, we still discover in those times that there's a calling and a purpose. And what we also begin to discover um, then um, is that God is with us, uh, not just calling us forth, not just challenging us or guiding us into moral action, but God is also with us and that God is strengthening us and making it possible for us to do things in times of great adversity. Right? God is our, our strength and our, and our rock and our redeemer. In the end, though, even Joseph's virtuous moral action here in prison is not, does not lead to a resolution of the situation immediately. And just because we do the right thing, even when the chips are down, doesn't mean it's still going to work out the way we want it to in the timing that we want it to. And in fact, if we really do that which we're called to do, we will um, discover discover the the cross. We'll discover um, the adversity, the heartbreak, um, but we'll we'll also discover then God's love outpoured for us as, as God gives us strength and patience to endure. And, and the story of Joseph is finally a reminder that, yes, it, even at times when things don't seem like they're working out, that God is still at work, that God is still at work doing something um, 
good and beautiful and restorative and wholesome. It just we just may not be able to sort of see that. So just because uh, we're called and we do the right thing, we figure it out. Um, doesn't mean it again. It it all works itself out. Um, but we discover along the way that God is with us, and then one to hopefully we get to a point um, where we really feel there's been some more deep resolution and healing and, and peace, and then we can uh, even more rejoice that God is with us. But all along the way, even in those times of trial and injustice, we can see that God is at work, and that indeed God is with us. Mm-hmm.